Thanks for the Andrew Peterson there, Jared. If you're looking for substantive Christian music that speaks to the soul, and it's not this pop stuff, but like actually like music, uh, Andrew Peterson. He uh, he has a song that's called uh, "Be Kind to Yourself." And if you just go on YouTube and you put in uh, your little uh, Googleizer. Andrew Peterson, be kind to yourself. It is this peaceful reminder that sometimes our greatest enemy can be our own selves. We can be far harder on ourselves than we often deserve. I think about the Christian life that we live. So much of my time has been spent wondering Why I keep on sinning? Why continue going back to things that hurt me so much? And I imagine that in a room filled with people that I'm filled with a room of people who have a similar concern about their life and about their walk with God. How can we know such great love of Christ but still turn back away from Him so often? Under the weight of our own guilt, we wonder, did it really take? Do I need to be baptized one more time? Why does sin keep recurring? Did it, did it really work? Friends, this morning, I, I hope that we can continue our conversation about remembering our baptisms. Remembering that day that we decided that we would trust in Jesus that we would walk with Him and love Him and pursue Him with our whole self, that we would die to ourselves and rise to be new people in Christ. And God bless you, Ashley. (laughs) I have to let it all out like that too. Otherwise, if I don't make a big noise, this is no lie, my elbow starts hurting. Like, if I hold it back, like I hurt. So if you ever hear me sneeze and it's obnoxiously loud, it's because if I don't, my body will hurt for days. We think about our life and our daily walk. Now everyone's afraid of sneezing and anything. My apologies. Ashley, please come back to church. uh, When I think about our life and our walk, I think about discipleship. You know, we we are on a pursuit of trying to find ourselves so much more like Jesus. And it seems like every step forward we take, sometimes we take three or four or five steps backwards. When we know the good that we ought to do, but we still return and we fall into that same sort of traps and same sort of struggle. Where does our help come from? Where do we turn to know that there is a better way forward and a better life for us than this reoccurring sin and reoccurring problems. You know, the opening books of the Bible are all about our origin. The opening chapters, Genesis 1 and 2, it's all about our beginnings, where we all came from. God creates the heavens and the earth. We get two chapters about our origins. And then we get chapters Genesis 3 through 50, 
Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'm not going to go through all of them because I'll skip one and miss one. I can't spell all of them either. And then we get the rest of all of Scripture and the rest of the New Testament is a story, not about our origins, but about a God who is looking to rescue us and save us and redeem us from sin. The sheer balance of this story is a reminder that we have a common beginning and we all have a common struggle. And the struggle is that each and every one of us need to be redeemed and need to be saved. And the vast majority of God's message to us is to say, we are sinners in need of grace, in need of love, in need of salvation, of deliverance, of hope, and it comes in Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. A simple illustration to remind us that we are all broken and all in need of help. I find myself talking to kids a lot um, because they're in my house and because I go to school and and um, and sometimes I get the opportunity to teach them, share with them. And I've tried to come up with a simple way to talk about what sin is. Uh, you know, because talking to kids about sin being adultery or sin being, uh, you know, any number of adult things, uh, you know, it's easier just to say, well, sin is stealing. But um, this is how I frame it. Sin is anything that I do that hurts others that hurts God, or hurts myself. Sin is anything that I do that hurts God, hurts others, or hurts myself. And when we look at the total of our lives, and the summary of our lives, and we look at all that we have, we might say that, yeah, we are among those that have hurt others, and have hurt God, and even have hurt our own selves. So the question becomes, what do I do with the sin that's in my life? All of us here, I assume, have heard about Jesus Christ and have declared him to be Lord and Savior. And if you haven't, um, we'll get on top of that, please. But if you have, uh, you may be like me. You've declared Jesus Christ your Lord and your Savior, but you've also sinned again. And uh, I was uh, just reading and thinking about our uh, text this morning. And I was thinking about sin an awful lot. And uh, not like thinking about sinning. I mean, I, I didn't do that this week. But, uh, but thinking about sin and why it's more noticeable in my life. I've written sin on two different pages. Which one? Which one's more noticeable? The white one, yes. The illustration worked. Praise God. I was at the cafe this week, having a, having a little lunch or something. There was a person there that was vulgar. Every other word was seemingly a cuss word, and I thought, you know, there's other words in the vocabulary. But I'm assuming that his sin is 
less noticeable and that's just sort of par for the course. But what if it was me in the cafe? What if it were you? You know, our sin is so much more noticeable as Christ followers because we've been forgiven of our sins. We've been made clean. And so when Paul gets a question about should we just keep on going sinning so that the grace of God may increase, Paul is thinking, how on earth could we think that way? Because when we sin, our sin is far much more noticeable. And God's grace is already far sufficient, and God's grace is already as great as we can imagine. We don't need to see his grace increase. We need to see his love in us increase, and obedience increase, and our new life in him increase. Shall we go on sinning? You know, in our series on baptism, we've, we've talked about two dimensions. The first dimension being that we want to join Jesus in his mission. That we see Jesus going and being baptized and entering into the waters of the Jordan River and being baptized and joining a part of the kingdom of God and that Jesus' mission became seeking first the kingdom with his life. That we as baptized believers in Christ, we want to join in Jesus' mission. And then last week I outlined uh, and showed you within Scripture the story of God using water to deliver his people, that entering into the water and coming through it is a way in which God, uh, God's story tells us and models for us that water is this sort of symbolic use of new life and we enter into baptismal waters joining in the story of God to redeem and save. And this morning I want to simply ask us to reflect on what it is that happens at our baptism. That there's something that happens to our life when we go into the water and we come out of it. Let's read Romans 6 together. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. I want to remember my baptism because I want to remember sincerely in my heart that I have been raised with Christ and I live a new life. There was a season in my life where I was uh, traveling to Indianapolis every, every week, every Tuesday. And I would leave at 1, 1.30 in the afternoon so I could beat the 5 o'clock traffic on 465. And I had to go through Kokomo every time. And it didn't matter what time of day, didn't matter how fast you went, you got stuck in Kokomo. Does everyone feel my pain? Well, praise God from whom all blessings flow. There is a Kokomo bypass now. And the Kokomo bypass is the most glorious moment because God is gifting you an extra 25 minutes of your life. No more Kokomo for me. Unless it's Beach Boys. But anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't know what it is. There's, there's a lot of things wrong with me. That's one of them. <laughs> Not every thought that comes in your head needs to be shared. I'm learning this. Wendy's been instructing me. It'll take one day. Now what if I said I had to go back to making my trip down to Indianapolis every week? And I told you, you know, I'm still taking the Kokomo route. I like stopping 30 times. The invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation for us to leave the old life and embrace a new life. A new life that has for us been paved for, uh, paved for us through Christ and the cross and the resurrection from the dead. And Paul's advocating for us to realize that our lives are no longer ruled by sin and death, but there is someone else who reigns in our life. And his message is, is that Christ reigns in you. That Christ is your life. A lot of my upbringing, and God bless my church, and I love it dearly, but I thought that church was... And the message was simply about me being rescued from hell and being given the reward of heaven. And so I followed all of the steps and I followed all of the rules and I did all of the hoop jumping that I was supposed to do, but I missed the part. I missed the part that there was a life to be lived and enjoyed and embraced. And so my relationship with God revolved around finding a list of rules and hoops to jump through. And so long as I got through all of the hoops, and if I missed one, then I, then I knew what I needed to do. If I missed a hoop, if I sinned, if I fell short of something, 
then the function of the communion and Lord's Supper every week was for me to come and partake in it and make sure I was forgiven for that week. This was never explicitly communicated. It was all just sort of my impression. You do all of these things, and the gift is heaven. It was very little about this new life that I have been given and gifted to in Jesus Christ, that there is actually a new way forward for me to live. People spend an awful lot of time talking about hell. Not so much now anymore, uh, but back in the day. And there was all a lot of fear-mongering. And, and people would ask questions like, what is hell like? And, and, and where is it? And is it eternal suffering? Is it eternal, eternal damnation? How long do you have to spend there? You know, all of these questions about hell. And my opinion was, I don't care and I don't intend on finding out. I'm going to do everything I can not to be there. And it didn't click for me for a long time. But I realized it's not about the hoops. And it's not about a list of arbitrary rules so that I can feel this sort of comfort and in knowing inside that I'm going to be all right. It's about Christ being the center of my life, the center of my existence, the very source of my life and hope and salvation. It's about Him. And when you start thinking that way, then Scripture starts jumping off the pages because then it's about a relationship and it's about this moment where you realize that I'm called to fix my eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of my life and my faith and my hope and my salvation. He is everything to me. And I long for you to have that same sense of joy, the same sense of salvation, that Jesus Christ is a gift to you. He is your hope and your salvation, and you can walk with him. You can grow in him. And the wrestling with sin isn't about what can I do and get away with and come back to the Lord's Supper and be forgiven for this week. I was convinced that the only reason why Sunday night church existed was so that the sinners who missed the Lord's Supper that morning could come and get it and be all right for the rest of the week. Diane's amening me over there in her own way. Because the preacher, he, he didn't want to preach Sunday night. I can guarantee it. You better get your Lord's Supper. When we traveled as a family, uh, we always had the Lord's Supper with us. It was Welch's grape juice, uh, the fuzzy pop, the grape Fanta. And we'd have that, and we'd have uh, Ritz Bits crackers. I know, heathen. We'd have it in the hotel, the, the five vacations I had with my parents. Uh, I'm not bitter about it. Uh, I'm distracted now. But I hope you hear. I hope you hear that baptism is about declaring that there is someone else who reigns in your life. And it's no longer sin. And it's no longer going back to it and thinking that this is where life can be found. And this is where fun is. Jesus is offering us a far better way and it's a new life in Christ. And he invites all of us to come and follow him and discover and learn 
that the very best way to live our lives is to forgive. That the very best way to live our lives is to be humble and to be gracious. The very best way for our world to get along is not through power, it's not through sin, it's not through greed, it's not through money, it's not through any of these things that have captured our hearts. The very best life is when Jesus has captured our hearts and our lives and we submit it to him. The Bible says a word that we wish wasn't there, but it says we are slaves to Christ. And we try and soften it and we try and make it mean a lot of different things, but really it's just my life fully submitted to him. And we spend the rest of our lives figuring out that being slaves to Christ is far better than being slaves to sin. Slaves to the anger and the hurt and the suffering. Slaves to all of these things that whenever we hurt God and hurt others and hurt ourselves, there's no life there. There is no life there. There is a syndrome uh, called Stockholm Syndrome. And it's this phenomenon that occurred a long time ago in Stockholm, but it has reoccurred several times where people are held captive and they are held captive long enough that they start perceiving their captors as their friends. So often in my walk with God, I think that I have convinced myself that sin is my friend and God is my enemy. And friends, the story of Scripture is 98% God rescuing us and 2% God telling us where we came from. And 1% telling you there's a way of coming back and an opportunity for you to come and spend new life with Him. Friends, the story of Scripture is that God came to seek and save us from sin and from death. Will you remember your baptism? Will you remember that you are dead to sin and you are alive to Christ? Will you remember that Christ lives in you? He reigns in you. You trust and you want to walk with Him. Will you remember your baptism? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for the life that we have in you. God, I know that my story is similar uh, to everyone else's. As we look at our lives and we struggle yet still with sin. And so we ask, God, for your grace. And remind us and remind our souls, remind our hearts, God, that we we are your children and we can be forgiven and we live under your grace. We live under your mercy. We live under your faithfulness. God, we turn our hearts away from you and when we repent, You are there. 
of God, wherever we're at this moment, if it's been a long time since we've thought about our life in you, God, help us to know that you are there with us and you're present and you love us as we turn back to you. And God, for those moments when we think that our captor of sin is our friend, help us not to find joy in this world, but our joy and our salvation and our comfort and our love in your son, Jesus. God, we know the wages of our sin is death. Let us embrace the free gift of eternal life in your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a, uh, there was a young man who was sprinting, sprinting for the train depot. He was afraid he was going to miss the train. And sure enough, as he got to, as he got to the station, he was there in time. There in time to see the train had already departed. Broken in despair, it was the train that was going to take him home. And he had missed it. He sprinted with all of his might, with every ounce of energy he had. There was a man there that said, well, it seems that you've missed your train. And the young man said, yes, I didn't sprint hard enough. The man said to the boy, no, you didn't start soon enough. The best time to start following Christ is today. We can look back on our lives and we can wonder if all of our effort and all of our sprinting was enough, and it won't be. If we never start our journey towards Christ today, will you please stand with me and sing?